0: This is episode two of the Third Friday's podcast. I'm Christian Cison, your host. The purpose of this little venture is to give you a glimpse into the practice considerations that we as attorneys make in handling your workers' compensation claims. Before we get started today, I'd like to thank the almost 900 downloads of the premiere episode. I always said I wanted you guys to be a fly on our wall to see how we break things down, And 900 flies on the wall may be disturbing to kind of imagine and visualize, but I'm very humbled. I'm very grateful. I also want to give a quick update uh, on last month's episode when we talked about the issue of opioids. We discussed the indictment of Dr. Emmanuel Lombrakis, who was charged with illegal distribution of oxycodone. Well, the board in New York has announced that Dr. Lombrakis has voluntarily withdrawn his authorization to treat compensation claimants. So if he's on one of your cases, be sure to request those weaning programs. Okay, now for today's episode. If you're seeing some sort of radiant glow emanating from your podcast listening device, it's probably because my guest today is Tashia Razul. I don't think there's a single topic in workers' compensation that Tashia and I haven't talked about in the three-plus years we've known each other, so she's really perfect for any episode. Tashia, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Christian. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Now, I'm officially volunteering to teach the little one how to hashtag defend from day one when the time is right, so anytime you need a babysitter, just know that he's going to be learning as well.
1: Okay. You're already signed up for that job. No worries.
0: Great. Okay. So today, I want to talk about controverting claims specifically for coverage purposes. There are various subtopics that fall under the coverage umbrella, but I'm most interested in wrap-up policies. Can you give everyone a brief explanation of what those policies are and how they relate to workers' comp?
1: Okay, absolutely. So we are hearing the term rapid policies more and more frequently in workers' compensation courts these days. And it's really because the construction industry is booming again, especially in New York. Um, There are a lot of high-risk, high-profile, large-scale projects, and the wrap-up policies tend to be more economical for the employers and everyone involved. So let's talk about these wrap-ups a little bit, for sure. There are two types of wrap-up policies. The first is what's known as the OSIP, Owner-Controlled Insurance Policy.
0: Okay, O-C-I-P.
1: Yes, and the other is the CCIP which is the contractor controlled insurance policy CCIP yes okay we see mo- more of the OCIP policies in workers compensation claims and what this means is that the owner of a project so for example if a project's going on at an airport the airport would be the owner so the owner would take out an insurance policy covering all of its uh, contractors and subcontractors.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: Okay, and for the CSIPs, it's where the owner says to the general contractor, hey, I'm going to let you handle workers' compensation coverage for this project, so you go out and you get a policy that covers all of the subcontractors in the project.
0: Okay. So those those descriptions actually make sense as to why the OSIP would be more prevalent, right? Because if you're telling another party to go get coverage, uh, you're far more likely to risk periods of non-coverage as opposed to just getting it yourself, right?
1: Exactly. It's better for the owner to just take control and um, get the policy, the coverage for everyone who's going to be working on the project. And it's important to note that The issue comes up in workers' compensation claims because the OSIPs and the CSIPs, or these RAPA policies, are different from the operational policies that every employer is required to have under the law. And when the coverage issue arises, it's always the OSIP versus the operational policy, which one should be applicable.
0: Right, and it's it's actually a funny situation because – uh, the claimant isn't necessarily concerned with who is the liable carrier as long as there's someone there, right?
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. And that's why when the carrier for the OSIP claim is brought into court, it's really their job to say, hey, judge, hey, claimant, there are other carriers that should be a notice because we don't have coverage for this employer for this project. It right. should be someone else. And I mean, I've litigated many of these cases. The claimant really doesn't have to prove anything. It's really.
0: (laughs) How many times have we been to those types of cases where the claimant and his or her attorney is just sitting there while we're just fighting the other carriers, right? Yes,
1: exactly. Easiest
0: hearing for them, right? He
1: doesn't care who the carrier is as long as some carrier is going to pick up the liability and pay him his money. Right, right. Okay? So um, just. Something that I want to note though for the OSIP policies, they're usually dedicated to one particular project, right? So, the owner, let's say the airport, he's going to have a project, uh, I'm sorry, a policy for the airport project. The CSIP, the general contractor, can have a policy for multiple projects that that contractor is working on at the same time. So, It's important to keep that in mind in these workers' compensation claims because the location of the accidents is very dispositive in determining uh, which policy should be liable.
0: Right. That's a good distinction because sometimes uh, you'll have a carrier on notice, but it might not be for the right project. It might not be for the right period of time. Uh, It might not be. A location within that project, you can have all these different policies in play, right?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Which brings me to my next point that I wanted to talk about with regards to how they relate to workers' compensation. So it must be noted that not all of the parties on a project will be covered. There are going to be some parties who are not covered under the OSIP policy. boo so, <laughs> Yes.
0: Or I guess that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's good. I guess it depends <laughs> on the case, but keep going.
1: Right. Um... So, for example, those working less than a certain number of hours, those with a contract value under a certain amount, uh, hazardous materials contractors, architects, vendors, a lot of times these are not covered under an OSIP policy. But one of these employees get into an accident, they sustain injuries, and they're trying to seek coverage under the OSIP policy. That's one way in which the OSIP policy Comes into play in workers' compensation claims, and one of the reasons why or how the insurance carrier that's holding the policy can deny the claim. The other thing is that we've seen a lot is that the accident occurred outside of the policy period. Right. So we might have a policy, uh, a project that's going on for 10 years. The first policy is only for three years. At the end of the three years, the owner might decide to go with a different insurance carrier right and then the accident occur and the first insurance carrier is brought into the claim but it turns out that since the accident happened after the first insurance carrier's coverage that would be a reason to controvert coverage
0: and believe it or not just despite all that mess like that's a pretty fairly common thing, right? Like, you know, a board places a a party on notice. That person comes and appears for a hearing. They might have coverage for only a particular uh, period or a particular location or a particular project, uh, but they have to be on notice to state their uh, position anyway. Exactly. And everything needs to be developed so that the judge can make a final decision on who the index carrier is.
1: Right. It does seem like you're reading my mind today, Christian, because my next point that I wanted to make is that the the reason I've noticed that the insurance carriers who hold these OSIP policies are brought into the claim is because when the board does its coverage search, it doesn't always differentiate between a wrap policy and an operational policy. Right.
0: We're only lucky sometimes with that, but yes. you're right.
1: And... um so if the board discovers that a particular employer, let's say John Smith contracting, is covered under a policy that's carried by, uh, let's say, Ace American Insurance Company, Ace American will be placed in notice. But then it'll turn out that it's actually an OSIP policy that doesn't cover that particular location or the particular claimant. Okay. okay? That makes sense. Um. And the last point that I wanted to make with regards to how this relates to workers' compensation is, and we've touched on it before, location. It's very, very important to develop the record on the issue of location. So, for example, the airport again, right? The, there, the, the insurance carrier might have an OSEP policy covering the airport, the project that's going on there. And it's covering, let's say, John Smith Construction at that airport, but John Smith Construction might be doing work at other places as well. For example, on a school project or a residential project.
0: Right. That's uh, that's true. Because I mean, you ha- you'll have policies that cover one project, two projects. It might say uh, we're only covering carpenters at this project. We're only right. covering uh, engineers. It's it's mm-hmm. so delicate that uh, it's really important to get that. Um, yes, you know, information out in the, at the ready.
1: Oh, yes, definitely. And the claimant might be working at the residential uh, housing project and with the same employer, but Ace American wouldn't have coverage because it's not that specific location that's being covered.
0: Okay, great. So we're talking about this uh, topic uh, mm-hmm. probably because it's uh, one that interests me so much. And I say that because it's a perfect example of my uh, defend from day one strategy, right? Because you could come in with a simple directive from your client, Tashia, we don't have coverage, right? So, you know, the wheels start to turn in your mind, and a lot of times it's just not enough. Or I'm to say, I actually have to say, all the time, it's not enough to just go in there and say, Judge, we don't have the coverage. And you might get another bite at the apple, a second hearing, right? Because mm-hmm. you might need to produce a policy, you might need to get another party on notice. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I love this topic is because I want to get all of that out on, in the open on the at the first hearing, right? Because at the first hearing, you look the most like the most credible person in the room, oh, and you yes. want to get out and be discharged, removed from notice as soon as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we talked about the types of information that we need to develop the record. Let's see how this plays out in court. This segment of the podcast is known as Guess the Outcome. Tashia, you're going to get five facts, and you have to predict the end result. Today, we have a board panel decision from June 2016, so fairly recent, Okay, it's called Matter of CDS Mestel Construction Corp. Now, I'm a little bit nervous because you mentioned airports earlier, and airports have a kind of um, interest in, in this particular fact pattern, so... I hope you didn't research this There's no way you could have (laughs) known, but I'm going to give you the facts, okay? Okay. Fact one is that Mm -hmm. claimant testified to working at Terminal 4 of the JFK Airport and stated that there were signs near his work site that disclosed state insurance fund as the compensation carrier. Okay? Fact two is that the index carrier by the board was Ace American. And Ace American disputed coverage under its wrap-up policy. It produced its policy and alleged that it only covered work performed at Terminal 5. Okay, fact three. Are you going to write this down? You're not writing this down.
1: Okay, I'm going to write this down.
0: Okay, yeah, write this down.
1: Seems important. Right.
0: State Insurance Fund alleged no coverage due to an exclusion for work performed at the American Airlines JFK Terminal. So I don't even know if that's four or five, and only produced the information page of its policy.
1: And you're not going to tell me what the information page has on it? Well, I don't know because the board panel is not going to tell me
0: either. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That might be relevant later. But fact four is that AIG, a third carrier, disputed coverage and also did not produce its wrap-up policy. Hmm. And the final fact is that the law judge found coverage with the state insurance fund. It discharged uh, ACE and AIG. State insurance fund appeal. Okay, so I know that you weren't given a lot of information, and I swear that wasn't on purpose. That's Some of these decisions, they don't mm-hmm. uh, give you that kind of information, but it might actually make sense when you hear the answer. But before we get there, how do you think the board panel ruled, or, or how do you think they should have ruled?
1: Well, knowing the little bit of information that you just provided me with, let's see. So it looks like ACE did what it's supposed to do. And produce its wrap-up policy, right? AIG did not produce its wrap-up policy. I don't know why. That's 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 a red flag right there. And if you ask me, they should be found liable since they just sat there and did nothing. Um, and the board should have found that they have coverage. You know, it's like you well, snooze, w- you they w- lose.
0: They, w- they wouldn't have done that if we represented them. But that's another... Another oh, definitely not. <laughs> yes, we would have
1: gotten all of that information out of them. Right. Looking at SIF's policy, the state insurance fund's policy, and I don't know if this is a little bit of a an error or it's meant to trick me or what's going on, but We know that CIF had coverage or supposedly had coverage at Terminal 4, or that's where the claimant worked. And then, oh no, I'm sorry, CIF said, uh, the claimant reported that at Terminal 4, it showed that CIF had coverage. But then SIF produced documents regarding an American Airlines JFK terminal, so that's a little confusing. It's,
0: it's a little little messy, right? But, you know, these, these cases are like that.
1: But uh, if I they, think
0: that's why it's actually a good example here. So, okay. Yeah.
1: So looking at SIF's policy, if American Airlines' project is the same as Terminal Four, then location's not an issue, okay. right? And if the information page did not provide information on the exclusions, then the board panel should have ruled that they are liable right? Because they have coverage for the location, they're claiming that something was excluded from the policy, and that's why they should not be covered. But if they don't provide proof of the exclusions, then, hey, you have coverage at the location, you're liable, okay? On the other hand, if Terminal 4 is different from American Airlines, then the SIF should have gotten out based on no coverage for the project, simple as that. One, two, three, you're out. Right. That makes sense. And the board panel should have overturned the decision. And quite frankly, the board could have also sent the matter back to the calendar for further fact development, which I've seen a lot in these coverage issue cases. So with a little bit of information that I have, I'll take a guess knowing how the board is. um, I'll say they sent the matter back to the calendar for further fact development. Am I right or am I wrong?
0: Ah, man, I was hoping (laughs) that I would get someone to be wrong in the first two episodes, but you're you're right. Just like uh, Declan was last month, uh, mm. the board modified the decision for further development of the record and a redetermination of who is the proper carrier. Now, because the law judge found the state insurance fund to be the proper carrier, the judge said that you know, in the interest of the claimant, or the board panel said, in the interest of the claimant, you're going to be the liable carrier for now. Under twenty five one f, you can be reimbursed if you're found later to right. be the incorrect carrier and. I think this perfectly demonstrates what we just talked about. Uh, You know, we want to be able to get out in front of these cases, right? Because think about the timeline that we have here, right? You have a couple of hearings in which we're talking about witness testimony, uh, hearings to put parties on Mm -hmm. notice, a decision, and then an appeal, and then a board panel decision.
1: More than a year, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I mean – we're talking about a situation where any one of those three carriers could have presented a better argument to get themselves off to notice. And actually, to be honest, Ace American probably did uh, as much as they could have because they did produce their policy and they did show that you know they performed work at a terminal that the claimant wasn't doing work at. So right. I, I get that, but it, it's tough to, to to even do that and get off when other people are still kind of – you know, not even really helping,
1: right? Right. And, you know, what? I've actually handled a lot of cases where sometimes we would go in with all of the information that we have and the law jet says, I'm not releasing anyone at this time until the other carriers produce information that they need to produce.
0: And that's that's the smart decision because Mm -hmm. uh, it's putting the onus on those carriers who haven't necessarily defended from day one. Yes. But... It's also telling them from a practical perspective, look, there are parties who have done their job and you, sir, have not or you, madam, have not. Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking about that, like if that happened to me, I would certainly go back to the client and say, look, like there's another carrier to produced its policy and it's ready to get out. We got to do the same thing. I need that policy. You know what? I might even need the name of an underwriter if we're going to say that it's not covered.
1: Because, oh yes, to know, explain just, the policy. Just to explain the policy, mm-hmm. just
0: just to be just to be sure, right? right? So, um, good job, to Shia. Uh, I really appreciate you kind of mining your way through those facts. Uh, it wasn't it Wasn't easy. Thanks for humoring me.
1: <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs>
0: okay, so so that does it for our discussion of wrap up policies. Uh, we're going to move to the final segment of the podcast, and that's answering a question submitted by the listeners. Okay, so. I appreciate all of you who have asked a question, uh, but the winner is Travis in Arkansas. Travis's question is about payer compliance. He asks, if carriers have to pay claimants for 30 days even without medical evidence of causally related disability, could a claimant theoretically lose time for the 30 days and then return to work all in order to gain an SLU rating? That's a really good question. Um, Travis, thank you uh, for the submission. You win a free iPad mini, so uh, congratulations. All you have to do is email me with your preferred shipping address, and Travis, you can actually also reclaim eligibility for future contests by following the Third Friday's Twitter account. Okay? All right. Tashia, compliance directs carriers to make indemnity benefit payments if the only dispute is over the existence of causally related medical evidence? How can we help Travis out here to answer his question?
1: Okay, so let's keep in mind that even though the carrier is issuing payments for 30 days, it doesn't mean they're really accepting the case or the case is formally established by the board.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, so... This looks like a little sneaky claimant who thinks he can just collect.
0: Aren't they all? Aren't well, they all sneaky? That is true. That's yes. why we have jobs, right? Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he thinks he can take a month-long vacation, get some money in his pocket, and then go back to work, get an SLU award. No, that's not how it works, because the carrier can the carrier can still deny the claim. An other bases, not only prima facie medical evidence of a causally related accident, and deny the claim for, uh, they have a, until a year to do so. So even if Mr. Claimant decided to go back to work 30, on the 31st day after the accident, the carrier can still deny the claim, raise all issues in controversy, litigate the issue, and if the carrier is found to not be liable, then SLU won't even be an issue. He's not automatically entitled to SLU just because the carrier has been doing what it's supposed to do under the pair compliance.
0: And I I totally agree with that. I I think there's a couple of things to watch out for. Uh, First, you don't want that to be your only denial, right? No medical, right? No. So um, make sure that investigation uh, is starting on the right foot. Make sure you're, you've exhausted all your avenues to controvert the claim to make sure that the payer compliance uh, procedure doesn't even apply, right? Exactly. Because if I'm going to say that this accident didn't happen or if, you know, if he provided notice to me uh, more than 30 days after the accident, mm-hmm. then I'm not denying uh, for just medical reasons. I, and I don't have to go by payer compliance.
1: That's true. And if that's the case, if you're denying it for other reasons, then the claim is not entitled to any payments because there could be like notice issues or like an accident did not even occur at all or right. something like that. Right.
0: And another thing I wanted to to bring up was we want to make sure that, you know, a notice of indexing isn't in play here, right? Because if, if the FROIL 4 or the SROIL 4 is being filed, you know, tw- 26 days after that indexing date, then you're going to be waiving defenses anyway. Yes. So, um, and at that point, he might be able to get an SLU rating. So we wanted to make that clarification, make sure that is always being followed. Um, but you're right. We're, we're, Pair compliance is a good thing for the people who haven't gotten around to getting their medical reports in on time, right? If I, go to, if I, get, if I get hurt today, I go mm-hmm. to the hospital, how is my employer's insurance carrier going to get that medical in the next day or two, it's very, very unlikely.
1: It, it, it is. And this is the reason, going back to your theory of defending from day one, from the first day that the employer or the insurance carrier has notice or they become aware that the claimant is filing this claim, investigation should begin. So even though they're using up this 30 days to pay the claimant indemnity benefits under payer compliance, it's still doing its investigation in the background, because after the first week of issuing payments under payer compliance, there might be another reason to be denying this case.
0: Absolutely. And uh, you might even get to the point where if you exhaust those investigations and you and really you're honestly left with only denying because of medical you might just accept that claim because you know if if there really isn't a reason to do so you might be better served uh keeping your resources uh minimized so that you don't have to pay for all the defense fees associated with denying and then having it established later anyway so
1: exactly i agree
0: uh That that was a great question, Travis. I I appreciate it. Um, To everybody else that's listening, uh, you can submit a question between now and next month's podcast uh, to be eligible for an iPad mini next month. So uh, reach out to me by email. Uh, I don't know why you would have my phone number, but if you find it somewhere, sure, that's fine too. Uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, anything like that. Submit a question. If uh, it's as good as Travis's was today, then we're certainly going to be talking about it next month, and you can get your iPad mini. I think we're all set. Uh, It's time to wrap up this episode like an insurance policy. Uh, Oh, boy,
1: you went there. (laughs) I just heard that out loud,
0: and and I regret making the pun. Okay, till next time, this is Christian Cisan reminding you to defend from day one.